My name is Keith Beavers, and does soup actually have a season? Like, when does one soup season end and one soup season begin? And is there like, is there like a gray area there? What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to episode three of Vine Pairs Wine 101 podcast bonus season. My name is Keith Beavers, and I am the tasting director of Vine Pair. And how you doing, guys? Greece and Greek wine is so damn cool. We have put it in two episodes. So this is our Greek white wine episode, and we're gonna get nice. You gotta get into Greek wines. Let's do it. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by E&J Gallo Winery. At Gallo, we exist to serve enjoyment in moments that matter. The hallmark of our company has always been an unwavering commitment to making quality wine and spirits. Whether it's getting barefoot and having a great time, making everyday sparkle with La Marca Prosecco, or continuing our legacy with Louis Martini and Napa, we want to welcome new friends to wine and share in all of life's moments. Interested in trying some of the wine brands discussed on Wine 101? Follow the link in each episode description to purchase featured wines or browse our full portfolio at BarrelRoom.com. Cheers and all the best. Wine lovers, I, you know, I've only I've been in the wine industry for a while. I think like 20 years maybe. And I've watched, you know, when, whenever, you know, in my time in the wine industry, I've seen a couple things evolve. One being the organic movements of that uh, South African wine but Greek wine, I actually, it was, it was one of those places in the world that I experienced on the American market. I, I, I watched it go from, oh, Greek wine, cool, to, oh, Greek wine, cool. That second one is what it should always be because Greek wine is so good. But it is shrouded in mystery. And there's so much awesomeness there. And I'll get into that in a second. But there are varieties of wine grapes in Greece that make the most unique wines. Wines that are like not even, I mean, you can kind of compare them to other wines in the world. They do have similarities to other wines in the world. But they're so Greek. The thing about Greek wine grapes is it's, this is crazy. They're so old that DNA profiling cannot find the origins of these varieties. And there are varieties around the world, specifically in the Mediterranean, specifically, well, mostly in Italy, that are named because of some, they have, their names are either uh, a reference to Greece or just Greek or like Greco because they don't know the origins of those varieties because the DNA profiling won't can't catch it because they're so old. So they assume because those grapes are so old, they must be Greek. So they give them Greek names. That's crazy. And I find it so wild that a place in the world, a culture, a country, a, a place that its history in antiquity is so rooted in the vine. Wine was everything to the Greeks. I mean, one of three things or four, you know, it was part of their diet. Vine, the vine was part of their diet. Wine was part 
of their diet, and the vine itself, the grape itself, was part of their diet, along with olive oil and bread. They had a god that was dedicated to wine. I mean, Dionysus was also dedicated to other things, like hedonism in general and drama and stuff like that, but he was such a big deal that they had an actual festival dedicated to him, and on that day, slaves were freed for one day to drink to excess, and if you puked, you won. That's crazy. The Spartans and the Peloponnese would actually wash their newborn babies in wine. Two of the most famous poets of the time, Hesiod and Homer, use wine for everything in these stories, whether it's for sacrifice, whether it's for just recreation, whether it's for prayer. They even used it to uh, seal the deal for agreements. And of course, it was used for medicinal purposes or therapeutic purposes. And the dude... Hephaestus, who made the shield for Achilles in myth, made sure that the shield itself depicted a vineyard that encapsulates human life. I mean, even the Cyclops drank wine and got nice, man. Dude got drunk. And of course, the Trojans and the Greeks, this is, it, was, it was their feast drink, and it was the drink for humans. The gods would drink nectar, humans drank wine. And when the Greeks began to colonize the Mediterranean, they would take vines to places like Sicily and southern Italy, which they called Enotria, which means the land under vines. So they were doing some good work there. But they also brought vines to the southern part of France, part of the, around the Black Sea. And then their exports of their wine actually went to places like Syria, Palestine, and Egypt. The Egyptians actually drank beer. And the... the, the the Greeks didn't want the beer, but they were happy to sell wine to the Egyptians. They thought beer was more of a barbarian's drink. Also, they always diluted their wines with water, the Greeks, and they thought that if you didn't do that, you were, again, a savage or a barbarian. There's actually stories of these characters and myth that take full swigs of undiluted wine, and they get so drunk they fall down, everyone laughs at them. They would even take the must after fermentation and re-moisten it and re-trot it with their feet and make this sort of very simple, low-quality, bubbly wine they called deuterius, which means derived from or second pressing. Today, we call that wine piquette, and we have an, actually have an episode on that coming up in this bonus season. But you're getting a sense of this, right? How important the vine and wine was to the Greeks. Yes, it was more of a luxury item for the elite. And yes, some of the lower quality stuff was for the plebes, but this was such an important part of their culture. So it's just so crazy that today we are not immersed in Greek wine. We are immersed in French wine. We see the French as sort of like the beginning of the quality wine thing. They created the Appalachian system and all that stuff. While other great wine was being made around the world, but the French were focused and so was the world. And literally, as the French were building their wine culture, the, the Greeks were under Ottoman Turkish rule. Therefore, they could, the wine industry couldn't even thrive there because that culture did not drink wine. They allowed it to be sold, but not to be consumed. It was very complicated. But it's in the 60s and the 70s where things start kind of beginning to change for the modern Greek era in that... You have the 60s and 70s, well, that civil war happened, which messed a lot of stuff up. But during that time, 
there was a lot of wine being made more on the quantity side than the quality side. But then in the 1980s, a lot of these winemakers that worked for these big companies, they lit out on their own and started doing their own smaller production wines. And that's where Greek wine started really coming into itself. And today we're lucky enough to enjoy the fruits of their labor. And it's awesome. So let's get you guys familiar with Greek wine. So you can go out there, grab them, and enjoy the hell out of them because they're there on shelves ready for you because there's more Greek wine on the American market now than there ever has been. And there's more diversity in that market and it's crazy cool. Let's get into it. And let's start with Greek white wine. I would love to get into all the geography and there's what I will in the next episode and all of the appellations, which I really can't because there's so many of them. But this is the thing for us right now to enjoy and understand Greek wine. We should understand the varieties in the wines made from them. Then we can get into more of the appellation stuff because the thing is, there are certain varieties that are that thrive in certain areas or are from certain areas, but those areas also make wines from other grapes as well. So it's it's kind of not all over the place, but it's it's it can get complicated. So let's talk about the varieties because I want you guys to start drinking Greek wine. Well, I want to get you excited about it. You know, <laughs> there's quite a long list of white wine varieties in Greece, with over a little over a dozen of them made regularly into wine. And there's a handful of those we're starting to see on the American market, so it's very exciting. If you're into Greek wine, you've probably heard of the grape Assyrtiko, so we'll start there. Assyrtiko is the, it is the white wine that from Greece that we've been seeing on our market since the 1980s. And although it's grown throughout Greece, well, not everywhere, but it's, it's grown throughout Greece. Where it's primarily grown is on the island of Santorini. Most of us might know Santorini as a great tourist spot in Greece, but it's also an ancient volcanic island. And in the 17th century BC, that volcano erupted and submerged the majority, the majority of the island into the Aegean Sea, destroying the Minoan civilization that was there and the neighboring larger island Crete as well, the, the civilization. And I know Santorini doesn't sound very Greek because Santorini at one time was ruled by the Venetian Empire and it was then named after Saint Irene, Santorini. But now it's also, it's actually called Santorini, but it's actually officially now back to being called Thera. But because of the popularity of this island and its beauty and its attraction through with tourism, the wines of this island are popular on our market because we love to go to Greece. And the grape Assyrtiko does very well in the volcanic soils of Santorini. Volcanic soils that have never seen the Phylloxera laus. That's right. These are all Phylloxera immune vines. And because it's so windy on this island, they do this thing they used to do back in the day where they train the vines into a basket-like shape so that the vines can produce fruit and not be crushed by the winds. It's called basket training or abrelo. And with that volcanic soil and all that wind, what we get are these beautiful, sometimes small production white wines that are just razor sharp with acidity and they smell like lemons and pears, and they go, of course, wonderful with seafood. A Sirtico might just be the number one seafood wine, like, in the world. I mean, maybe not, but it's, man, it's 
good. And you can, and there's a lot of affordable Assyrtiko on the market out there. But if you see a Assyrtiko from Santorini that's a little bit more expensive than usual, give it a try because it's in a concentrated yield and they want to show you like what this grape can do. So it's worth the spend. And we're talking like 30 bucks, 40 bucks. In any other decade, I would be like, that's it. That's all the Greek wine we have in our market. But not today. We have other white varieties to talk about, and you're stoked. I can feel it. Of course, Santorini isn't the only island in the Aegean Sea making wine. There are other islands like Lemnos, Samos, Paros, Rhodes, and of course, Crete. But we're not seeing a lot of those in the American market yet. We are, but it's just kind of a dabble. So we're going to move on just for the sake of you know, helping you guys find what's actually around in abundance, if you will. In the Peloponnese, which is sort of the, the southern part of the Greek peninsula, like right, like not in the middle, but central part of the Peloponnese, there is a wine region called Matania. And in this wine region is where one of the most, one of my favorite white wines is made. It's a grape called Moscafilero. And it is, it's a pink skinned grape. So it makes these really kind of like pinkish toned white wines, but you can actually do some skin contact and make a rosé out of it. You know, you're doing the orange wine thing, but you're going to make a, a, a rosé out of it. But the coolest thing about these wines is they're crispy and they have a ton of acidity, but they're also a little bit sweet. Imagine drinking a very crisp, very clean, very refreshing Pinot Grigio with a slight note of Moscato sweetness and a hint of sometimes a little bit of a fizziness on the tongue. They're awesome wines. And if you can find a Mosca Filaro, grab it, don't look back, and you're welcome. So these are two of the varieties you're going to see mostly on the American market. A Sirtigo being like everywhere and Mosca Filaro kind of popping up more and more and more. Beyond that, there's another white wine grape called Malaguzia that is from the northern part of Greece in the Macedonia area. And this wine makes really awesome, soft, low acidity, easy drinking, concentrated sometimes white wines. And the reason why it's exciting is because at one time, Malaguzia was one of the varieties used to make a wine, a white wine from Greece called Retsina. Retsina is a traditional wine made to give like almost an homage to the way wine was made in antiquity in that the wine is infused with pine resin. Now, back in the day, it got pretty rough. Like when, when Greek wine was rough, Retsina was rough. You're basically just drinking pine resin. Today, younger winemakers are taking that task and making it a better wine. I don't know if not better, but more, more concentrated, more balanced, and it's awesome. But also, Malaguzia is being made into single-variety dry white wine. And if you get a chance, you should definitely try it. This is like a great seafood wine as well, but it also goes well with some like light meats because it has a little bit, of, little bit of weight to it. Okay, there's one more island that I want to talk about called Kefalonia. It's on the, off the western coast of Greece. And there's a grape being grown and made into wine there called Robola. It's not... It all related to Ribola Jala from northeastern Italy. It's its own thing, and you're starting to see a little bit of it come onto the American market. It's another one of those very clean, beautiful, easy-drinking, pear-driven white wines. You're going to see it around, but not as much. But 
there are more white wine varieties out there that I should mention because it's like we're in the middle of it, wine lovers. We're in the middle of these wines coming onto our market. I've had the opportunity to taste some of them and they're really awesome. And I can't wait until there's more of them on the market for you. So I'm going to, I'm going to throw down on some of these names just so you know, sometimes, you know, names, it's hard for me to, I can't spell every single one. So if you go to um, my Instagram page at VinePairKeith, in my bio, I have a link to the Wine 101 page on VinePair where they have a transcript of every episode. So you can see how everything is spelled in any episode that you have an issue with if I can't, if I don't have a time to spell them. So here we go. Assyrtico, Moscofilaro, and Malaguzia, we know. Other wines you might be seeing soon are wines from Rhodides, from Athiri, and from Dabina. Sometimes wines are blended, sometimes not. We're starting to see all of that coming on the American market. Also, sometimes a Sirtico and Malaguzia and Moscofilaro are blended together. Sometimes a Sirtico is blended with Sauvignon Blanc because Greece does do some international varieties, but we're focusing on the indigenous here. Savatiano, Mandalaria, Vilana, Mavrodaphne, Mavrud, and the list goes on. I just think this is so cool. There is a place, the Greece, the varieties are shrouded in mystery only because they're so old, DNA profiling can't find the origins. When you're when when I'm researching grapes, there's always a story of where people think it came, a grape came from. There's all these different names and pathways and all this. For Greek wines, it's like, we think this grape is from the Peloponnese. Like, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> it's just like right there. So what's cool is like, there's all this mystery surrounding wine only because these grapes are indigenous. They don't really grow outside of Greece and they have no real origin story except for from Greece. And sometimes because the Greek language is difficult, the grapes are difficult to say. That's it. Other than that, everything's absolutely amazing. If you've never gotten into Greek wine, I hope this episode gets you excited about the Greek white wines. Next week, we're going to get into the red wines, which is, if you think the white wines are exciting, the red wines are absolutely exciting as well. We'll do a little geography, a little bit more history, and get you up to speed on that. So go out, buy Greek white wine, enjoy the hell out of it, and I'll talk to you next week. Find Pear Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pair. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pair, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pair staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by E&J Gallo Winery. At Gallo, we exist to serve enjoyment in moments that matter. The hallmark of our company has always been an unwavering commitment to making quality wine experience. Whether it's getting barefoot and having a great time, making everyday sparkle with LaMarca Prosecco, or continuing our legacy with Louis Martini and Napa. We want to welcome new friends to wine and share in all of life's moments. Interested in trying some of the wine brands discussed on Wine 101? 